My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Jade Nasagalowak Carpenter and Liam O'Neill Gordon. Even before the wave of changes to education systems forced upon us in the last few decades under the banner of neoliberalism, schools and colleges and universities were never exactly the havens of free thought and meaningful learning that a certain strand of nostalgia for the good old days would have us believe. However, the neoliberal shift has sharply narrowed mainstream imaginings of education and educational institutions, such that our current dominant common sense treats as inevitable and even desirable things like hierarchical classrooms, standardized testing, intrusive managerial interference in pedagogy, high fees at the post-secondary level, and the orientation of the entire enterprise towards training, a credential, and hopefully a job, rather than anything more liberatory or more grounded in any sort of vision of the common good. Along with various efforts to push back against this vision of education in more formal settings, there's also a growing trend in many communities towards increasingly organized grassroots initiatives to share skills and knowledge. These don't tend to result in a credential, they probably won't help you get a job, but they generally reflect a vision of learning that is about sharing skills that are practically useful, coming to shared understandings of shared problems, and building relationships and community, all while prioritizing in one way or another a vision of justice. Jade Nasagalowak Carpenter is an artist who has experience in organizing community-based initiatives in the context of an artist-run center, while Liam O'Neill Gordon got his start organizing all-ages punk shows. Both are core organizers involved in the Calgary School of Informal Education. The school was originally Liam's idea. He'd been involved in the music scene for a long time and decided he needed a change, and the direction of that change ended up being towards a growing interest in creating opportunities for grassroots teaching and learning. He did a lot of reading about things like anarchist experimental schools, about the liberatory pedagogy of Paolo Freire, and about the Food Not Bombs Free School in the United States, and he decided he wanted to try something like that in Calgary. He knew lots of folks involved in arts, music, and academic things in the city, including Jade, and he had no trouble getting the bike co-op where he was working to rent him their space for events. Pretty soon, the school was up and running. The workshops and events organized by the school over its first eight months have been a quirky mix largely determined by those who have come forward with skills to share, from knitting to garlic, from Japanese language to embroidery. Under the umbrella of the school, a queer zine-making group and the new Treaty 7 Indigenous Filmmakers Collective have begun meeting regularly. And in the coming year, Liam and Jade expect more classes based on crafts, more opportunities to hear people with diverse lived experiences share their knowledge of the world, and more explicitly political workshops. Though much of the organizing has been informal so far, the school is well on its way to putting together a formal board and will be applying for small grants in the near future, with the goal of paying all teachers at living wage rates and making all classes free for participants. 
Jade and Liam speak with me about the philosophy, the goals, and the nuts and bolts work of the Calgary School of Informal Education. We spoke by Skype to phone from Calgary. I'm Liam O'Neill Gordon, and I guess the beginning is I organized punk shows from when I was 20 till a few years ago, and then I started getting more involved in other activist stuff. I co-founded the Calgary Tool Library. I was on a board of another all-ages venue, and I was programming events there, so it's not much of a jump from programming punk and art events to, like, programming classes. And after that, I decided I wanted to move on to something else. I realized I didn't have enough money to afford to go to university right now, so I decided to start my own skill-sharing school based on what I've read on the internet and through books and stuff and, like, blogs and other philosophers. And also, just because of our backgrounds, just affordability, inclusivity, and just because I did go to universities and I'm friends with a lot of art students, I it was easy to gather a lot of people with lots of skills that just have never had an opportunity to teach. So I guess the beginning for me was being involved in the all-ages punk scene, programming events for that. I'm Jade Nassigalowak Carpenter. I'm a recent graduate from the Alberta College of Art and Design. I was in the drawing department, and I'm a practicing artist trying to get shows and get my name out there. I was born in Yellowknife, raised in Edmonton, moved to Calgary for ACAD. I was working at uh, Artist Run Center Stride Gallery over the summer, and that was kind of when I started to get really involved with public programs and community involvement. I helped create this public program where we sent art supplies and letters of support to the youth in Attawapiskat. So that was my first taste of, you know, public programming and getting the community together and creating something bigger than all of us. I think it's a really nice idea to work together and, like, educate each other. And I became involved with the Calgary School of Informal Education by just, like, knowing Liam and working with helping him set up for small events and small workshops that are beginning to grow. Tell me more about where the idea for the Calgary School of Informal Education came from and about those very early steps of turning it into reality. I think the idea came from I stopped putting on all-ages events and everyone from the old collective as part of started a new collective. And then I decided I wanted to do something more academic, so I started reading a lot. And it was really inspired by, like, one of the more anarchist experimental art schools that I was reading about on blogs, the anarchist art schools where people were just hiring teachers to teach them all year long. And also, I think one of the things is the Food Not Bombs free school in the States was a big inspiration. So it was actually just reading a lot on the internet and then reading like Paulo Freire, some of his writings, just like getting inspired and realizing that school and skill sharing didn't have to be as expensive as it generally is. And just realizing that people have a lot of untapped potential and talent. So I think a lot of it came from reading about the Food Not Bombs free school and the success they've had. I worked at another nonprofit doing bicycle education because I worked at a bike club too. So I talked to them about actually subletting their space to teach classes. So without this organization called Two Wheel View, we definitely wouldn't exist. I think that was the major step is just finding sustainable space, which is actually quite easy. So that was the main step. And then the other step, honestly, was just doing social media stuff. And then finding teachers for me was like pretty easy just because of my connections from the art scene and the music scene and academia. Finding space is always the hardest part for programming events. Affordable space. 
So when you had those initial conversations with people who you thought might be interested in teaching a workshop or something like that, what kinds of responses did you get from people? People were kind of confused at first, and then they were excited. I mean, Jade is teaching a few classes, and I guess she can give you more things, but I think confusion and then excitement when they realized it was real. Where do you think that confusion came from? I just don't think Calgary has many things like this yet. So it was just the concept was kind of confusing. Give me a sense of some of the kinds of workshops and classes and teaching and learning opportunities that the Calgary School of Informal Education has organized so far. The first public event was actually a Japanese class or a series of intro to Japanese classes by my friend Eleanor. So I'd say we're half skills training, half academics. So a lot of it's basic art-based, like Jade's going to teach a knitting class. And we had an embroidery class. I'd say our most popular class is silk screening. So we do basic silk screening. Or we had a workshop on garlic. All you need to know about garlic. The art classes are more like one-offs. And then we're starting to develop more talk. There's a few professors. My friend Teal is a professor, so he's going to do a few talks on the fishing industry. So yeah, we're, we're getting into more talks now, like one or two hour talks, like Skype talks. But um, so we did run a drawing class that was three nights, and our Japanese class was about six days, like two hours a week. So it's mostly one-offs right now because I find it's easier for people to commit, but we definitely have done longer classes. So it's a mix of both. I guess the other part of it is we run a queer zine night, and then we also co-facilitate an Indigenous filmmakers night that Jade is part of. Tell me about the process that happens for a new workshop idea to become a reality. When I first started the school, it was mostly me just asking people, but now that word's gone out, it's just like been half and half. People actually attend our class, and after, they'll say, oh, I can teach this. Are you interested? And right now, we're pretty open to anything as long as it's, like, obviously not homophobic or offensive. We don't curate that strongly. Right now, it's been pretty informal. So just because of our space and just because the two of you has been really great to us, they rented out to a lot of other people. So we just look at the calendar we book around, we see if they have time, we have time available. And then after that, we really like, I, social media is the future. So honestly, we like book the event, make a Facebook event, we do the poster, and then we have an email list for developing. We're starting to be more into social media. So it's generally, we book the class on our calendar and then we advertise it on social media. I'd say 75% of the people that come for our classes come because of Facebook and our email list. And how do the rest find out? They'll come because of posters or friends. Right now, Jade designs 80% of the posters. If the teacher has an art degree or an art experience, we offer them if they're really keen to make the poster, that's fine. But Jade, yeah, has a bachelor in drawing. So Jade usually makes the posters, and I'm basically the street team right now. And we're eventually developing more of a street team. But just because of all my involvement in punk since like the late 90s, I guess I still think posters are useful. So we poster all around the city. And like when you poster, you get other people that wouldn't generally be involved in your social circles. So I still think it's important to poster just to expand. And I feel like our uh, our events are pretty family friendly. So 
Yeah, it's definitely a good to poster for the other 25% that wouldn't be involved in our social circle. So within the broad spectrum of people in a, a big city like Calgary, who would you say that the schools, workshops, and events have managed to connect with so far? Just because we do different programming, like the Indigenous Filmmaking Collective definitely mostly targets Indigenous youth. The Queer Zine Night mostly has people identify as queer. And then our skill sharing is like actually super diverse. Like I thought it'd be mostly my friends, but a lot of it is diverse across the board from like more suburban middle class people to recent immigrants to... So it's actually pretty diverse, surprisingly. More diverse than I thought, honestly. Jade, why don't you tell me about some of the workshops that you've led? So I helped with the setup and the supplies and the running of the first silkscreen workshop. The other workshop that I'm involved in is Knitting 101, where we're going to learn the basic few steps of knitting, like casting on, casting off, knitting and purling, so you end up making a nice scarf by the end of the workshop if you keep on with it. Also, I'm a part of the Treaty 7 Indigenous Filmmakers Collective, which is a part of the Calgary School of Informal Education. And we just had our first meeting almost a month ago, and that was the other one that I was involved with. Tell me more about the Filmmakers Collective. It's based out of a similar collective in Winnipeg. And the person who was really gung-ho about it and wanted to get it started was Danny Black. He's also a board member. Yeah, the board member. She's like a really rad Indigenous woman and activist doing a lot of things for the Calgary scene and the Indigenous community. The Filmmaker Collective, I think right now they're just focused on inspiring younger Indigenous people to educate themselves about film, but there's definitely plans to start like filming, editing and stuff. It literally just started last month. There was about 20 people there, so it was a huge turnout in Indigenous youth, and there's definitely plans to start filming and editing stuff. We uh, run it at an artist-run center called Media. We use their screening room, and I think there's plans to watch films, and there's already been people that have been involved in small independent films. So Danny actually went to film school in Winnipeg, so that's why she knows the original collective that started it. It was a pretty mixed crowd, but I think a good majority of them had experience in film in one way or another. Yeah, there was the Nakota AV Club. is a bunch of Indigenous young adults, and they came to the meetings. What I want to get out of being involved is, I think I just want to foster connections with other Indigenous youth and Indigenous artists and Indigenous activists. I've made a few films in the past, and my art practice is really diverse, so it's not my major focus but I would love to be involved and help out with other projects, even doing like in-work critiques of people's projects. And yeah, I hope to just build a, that sense of community and help out with projects. Tell me about the Queer Zine Nights. I'm not exactly involved in it. Another board member named Bree is involved in it, but basically I know how it started because I talked to Bree and them. Mostly it's targeted, again, at like self-identifying queer young people. So they aim to make it a safer space for queer youth to connect, queer young adults too, to connect in a safer space and either hang out or just really focus on making zines and spreading zine culture. And how do the actual nights when they get together go? 
I think 50% is just like honestly socializing, building community, and the other 50% is people just making art specifically focused on just like basic scene making skills. So I think it's definitely more focused on building community than making zines, but they're using zines as a form to build community and supporting queer youth and young adults in a safer space. For the Queer Zine Night, what approaches do they use to connect with queer youth? Is it mainly based in pre-existing informal social networks? Or do the organizers have partnerships with, say, established queer organizations in the city? Definitely through informal social networks, because there's definitely been about 12 to 20 people attending each class. So I think a lot of it's just through social networks and word of mouth. I'm not part of the queer scene, but I feel like there's not as much radical stuff happening in Calgary yet compared to other cities. Jade, how do you feel about that? I don't really know much about it because I haven't lived in other cities and I'm not super involved in the queer scene here in Calgary. But as far as I hear from my other friends, there doesn't seem to be that many safe spaces for them to just socialize and hang out and build that sense of community between themselves. And that touches on a larger question. I think a lot of people who live in other parts of the country have an impression of Calgary as a a very conservative place, as not a very easy place to be involved in grassroots organizing and grassroots projects. Would you say that this impression that folks in the rest of the country have is an accurate understanding of Calgary, or is it perhaps a bit exaggerated? I'm not sure, because I'm like pretty straight and white and middle class. So I, I don't know how to gauge that exactly, but uh, I feel like we live in a bubble, so it's really hard to tell. I just think the infrastructure hasn't been set, at least. I can guarantee the infrastructure of like progressive stuff isn't as developed like Halifax or Vancouver. I honestly don't want to speak on like comparing a city because I feel like I get treated pretty well no matter where I go, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, I feel like I could speak to Calgary's, you know, general racism and casual sexism and how they look at class and how they look at homeless people. It seems pretty conservative and not very inclusive, but I feel like artist-run centers here and the Calgary School are looking to break those boundaries and inform the people who are not totally like on board with radical things that we're trying to get them involved and show them what it's like on the other side. So in the description of the Calgary School of Informal Education that you originally sent me, one of the ways that you described the goals of the school is to be inclusive, accessible, and affordable. Tell me what you mean by each of those terms and why you think they're important. If I don't have those things, I might as be running one of those fancy, not to talk bad, but there's like this movement for like, DIY classes in Pinterest, you can charge $80 to learn how to do stuff we do. And if I wasn't focused on that, I might as well just be making money hand over fist doing that. But me and Jade are some of the people that can't afford that. So to make it inclusive, I want anyone with a positive attitude to be able to come and afford to learn how to silkscreen because to go to ACAD to learn how to silkscreen, I mean, they run a different system. It would be impossible to learn how to fill screen for $5. And I think that's a shame that 
that knowledge is not accessible. So inclusive, we want to include everyone that wants to learn how to silk screen, everyone that wants to learn how to learn Japanese. It shouldn't be a question. If you want to learn, come. And accessible, we're not actually completely accessible right now because we run our classes upstairs. So I'd say our main goal is to have an accessible space, but I feel like we're affordable and we're accessible. I feel like we're trying to be accessible financially. We're just not physically accessible right now, which I think is important to note for us because that's something we need to work on. And in affordability, like we're eventually trying to aim to make these classes completely free as long as we can fundraise enough while still paying the teachers. That's our main goal is to pay teachers above a living wage and make all the classes free. What does fundraising for the school look like? Right now, the fundraising is me going to my regular job and paying slightly out of pocket. It is becoming more of a part now that there's more people included. We have more of a broader base of people interested in the school. So we might be running a New Year's fundraiser. We're not sure yet. We're just in the planning stages, and I think that will raise some money. And we're at the part where we're going to start applying for grants and stuff. We calculated how much we actually need to run the school. And for free classes, it's about three or $4,000 a year. I think it's pretty doable just because our costs are so low. Just because of the other projects me and Jade have done, just being involved in the activist scene and the artist-run scene, we know how to access the grants and stuff. So I think it's definitely possible that we could raise three or $4,000 a year. So obviously there are huge institutional differences between a grassroots project like the Calgary School of Informal Education and a formal institution like a school or a university. But in terms of how you think about education, what would you say the difference is between those two? Obviously, I appreciate university. The, the main difference I honestly have with the university is the affordability and the idea of lived experience. I would just as happily get an Indigenous person to teach the class rather than get it filtered through an academic writing a paper and then presenting it. So I think a lot of us, we focus more on lived experience than uh, credentials. Like, obviously, I want, like, my doctor to have an education. But for me to learn about a lived experience, we're more focused on lived experience and lived knowledge, self-taught knowledge than, like, maybe a, a university could be. So we're a lot more flexible. I think it's a lot less hierarchical, and I think it's a lot more inclusive. There seems to be, like, a fear of academia, which I totally get, because it could be very intimidating you go into a space where you feel like everybody's smarter than you and it's not the most inclusive space, never mind the whole tuition fees and like strict schedules. The Calgary School seems a lot more inclusive in that way. So regardless of whether it's a, a social movement context or a grassroots community context or, or whatever kind of setting, one thing that we inevitably end up dealing with is how to respond when people express and enact and reproduce the kinds of oppressive and hierarchical and sexist and racist and all of those things, behaviors that we're all, at least to some extent, taught as we grow up in this oppressive society. What are your thoughts about how to respond to oppressive behaviors when they happen in the context of events and classes and workshops that are part of the Calgary School of Informal Education? We've thought about it not as much as we should, but um, 
One of our board members and associates that runs the Queer Zine Night is interested in teaching more classes on safer space and like intersectional feminism stuff. And hopefully we're planning to take some ideas on like having a safer space policy and applying it to the school. I think one of the things that saves us is just that it's still formal enough. People are not on their best behavior, but... People tend to be very shy at these events, so I think that saves us from the hassle of having to tell people, hey, what you just said was very insensitive. So we're still developing the policy, like there's sexism and racism that probably exists in people's minds. They don't speak freely of it at the classes because they're still kind of formal. But we're definitely going to work with Bree and some other people to develop uh, safer space policies, which definitely have been developed for like organizations like FemWave. FemWave is a feminist and music art festival that Bree and I were a part of. Uh, and for listeners who are interested in learning more about FemWave, I interviewed two of the organizers of that festival about a year ago. So you can search for that episode of Talking Radical Radio on rabble.ca or talkingradical.ca. So we're going to have to develop a policy sooner than later. And there's already been a few that we can take from. Tell me about what's coming up for the Calgary School of Informal Education, both in the immediate term and also the kinds of new and different things that you're hoping will be part of the school in a year or two if things continue to go well. Right now, we're just trying to, this sounds cheesy, build our social media following. I've just realized over the years that's the best way to get people. Building up our mailing list, just getting the word out to more people. That's the main goal. And then just putting on different interesting classes and more talks and diversifying where we're holding things. And I think another main goal that Danny has that runs the Treaty 7 Film Collective is just increasing membership of the Film Collective, but also fundraising and doing more interesting things with that as well. We're going to start trying to do more workshops with non-academic people teaching academic concepts from their lived experience. So just because of my association with the Nakota AV Club and uh, the Treaty 7, we're going to do a general Indigenous viewpoints class taught by some young adults from the Nakota AV Club and the Morley Reserve. We're going to focus more on lived experiences, but also I think we're going to have a few writers or a few academics talk about the rise of the alt-right and more like Marxist perspectives and stuff. And I think more craft stuff, a mixture of craft stuff and, I guess, Marxist perspectives. One of the more important aspects of any small collective that looks to become bigger is inclusivity to people of color and people of different classes. We need to turn institutions to be less white and be less male. And I think that's what the Calgary School is aiming to do. And I think that's really important. I think the uh, lived experience aspect of it is very important because it's good to hear things coming right from the source, and I think it's important for those stories to be told and be respected in a formal setting. You have been listening to my interview with Jade Nasagalowat Carpenter and Liam O'Neill Gordon of the Calgary School of Informal Education. To learn more about their work, go to yycinformallearning.wordpress.com. That's yycinformallearning.wordpress.com. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, 
go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.